Good morning, everyone. Uh, today's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, and you can follow along on page 6 of your bulletins. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so without, with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, now we turn to page 7. Um, buenos días. La lectura de hoy está en la página 7 y viene de la primera carta de Pedro, capítulo 4. En fin de todas las cosas se ha acercado. Sean pues prudentes y sobrios en la oración. Sobre todo tengan entre ustedes un ferviente amor, porque el amor cubre una multitud de pecados. Hospédense los unos a los otros sin murmuraciones. Cada uno ponga al servicio de los demás el don que se ha recibido como buenos administradores de la multiforme gracia de Dios. Si alguien habla, hable conforme a las palabras de Dios. Si alguien presta servicio, sirva conforme al poder que Dios le da, para que en todas las cosas Dios sea glorificado por medio de Jesucristo, a quien pertenecen la gloria y el dominio por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Thank you, Oscar. I'd like to call him C-3PO. Uh, fluent in six million different languages, right? Appreciate your service to us in that way, brother. Um, we're continuing today in our series that we're call, calling called One Another as we're learning together about how to do relationships. Uh, the sort of thing where you can kind of take for granted. Yeah, I know how to relate to people. Do you? Do we? How do you do community and Christian life together, one to another? That's what we're learning, and we're looking at another topic here today as we've been working through this series over the past several weeks, and so let's pause first and pray before we continue. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a one-anothering Savior. You're the one who drew near to us, draws near to us, even taking our sin upon yourself, dying for us, living for us rescuing us, loving us well, eternally well. And so what we're really after in these messages is learning how to be like you as we're being changed by the power of your love. And so change us today and teach us today. Send your Holy Spirit and do that mighty work in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shortly after college, while I was still living in Providence, Rhode Island, I, together with some friends, among whom was included a young lady named Paula, would occasionally hang out at one person's home, the home of an older woman named Nancy. Nancy actually was the mother of a fellow friend of ours, one of our peers, and she would, on occasion, invite us into her home 
together with other people in our 20s. And it was in that home that we experienced something that you normally wouldn't be able to in a college town, refuge, rest, good food. And we experienced it together, sometimes with laughter, sometimes even with tears, you see, because Nancy was great at making conversation that really got to the heart of what was going on in life. She was a straight shooter, and she was warm and caring all at the same time. She was kind of like a, a mom to us, a mom away from mom, and for some, the only kind of mom they had. And her home became, for many of us, a home away from home, a place of conversation, of refuge, and of a theme that I later came to understand really amounted to this, what we had experienced in her home was hospitality, hospitality, which is the focus of our message today and which is what we find in verse 9 as the Apostle Peter writes to churches across the region of Asia, that's modern-day Turkey, when he says this, you saw it earlier, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So this is the call that we're considering before us this morning. And whether you live in an apartment or a row house, whether you live in a mobile home or even a local shelter, whether you live alone or in a group house or with toddlers that make your place feel like a frat house, God invites us to offer hospitality to one another as an extension of God's own gracious hospitality towards us. But what is that? What is hospitality? What does that mean to offer hospitality? You may or may not know that that word, hospitality, comes from a Greek word. It combines philo, which means love, Together with xenos, which means stranger, philoxenos, hospitality is the love of strangers. Jesus himself, in his well-known parable of the sheep and the goats, talks about how at the end of time God will gather all people together and he will say to those on his right hand who loved well, who loved faithfully, he will say, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Telling us that those who show hospitality, the love of strangers to others, will show that they themselves have experienced the hospitality of God. The love of strangers. And so hospitality isn't just a matter of throwing dinner parties with friends. It might include that. That's not wrong to do. It's a good thing. But it's important that we note that we shouldn't confuse biblical hospitality with just simply entertaining others. We're loving strangers. Those who are vulnerable, those who most need friendship and care and a home. You see, these strangers are not only people that 
you don't know that well, so you're just reaching out to people that you want to get to know a little bit better, literal strangers. Sure, it includes that. But it also includes strangers to the church, newcomers, visitors, strangers to the city or to your block, maybe newcomers, new residents, or maybe even strangers to local social support systems. Youth in the neighborhood that don't really have a stable home, relationally or even physically. Or perhaps those with limited access to shelter or food or things that you and I might take for granted at times, perhaps. Strangers are those who are, well, estranged. Those that just feel beat up by broken relationships. Or maybe just distant relationships. Maybe college students in a town like ours might be in view. Maybe the elderly who don't have their adult children nearby. Maybe individuals who are just flat out alone. Strangers. Loving them well. Loving us well. Because in many ways we too are strangers to one another, are we not? And we're called to pull one another in into hospitable community and family. In Peter's day, hospitality played a a special role in society and in the church because there weren't a lot of hotels or inns at the time. And so if you're traveling, then normally you would need to stay with someone, usually a family, someone that would take you in. And then what you would offer them is not just food, but conversation, shelter. You offer beauty, the warmth of the environment of your home. You offer friendship, a place to lay their head. In other words, hospitality involves inviting people into the space of your own life and giving them nothing less than a taste of heaven. Jesus himself described heaven in this way, do you know, in John 14, when he said, in my father's house are many rooms. He's talking about heaven, remember? In my father's house are many rooms. I go and prepare a place, a dwelling, an abode, a home for you. You see, even heaven, heaven is a world of Eternal hospitality. And your homes and your lives and your hands and your tables, your conversations can literally be a portal from God's own heart to the heart of those who need him most. We find this idea of hospitality here in this passage in a fascinating and interesting Context. You might have noticed that the verse, first verse of this paragraph, verse 7, starts off, the end of all things are near. Maybe strange words, words that ring to you oddly. Peter, of course, is referring to the day when Jesus will return, uh, bringing with him judgment, which is another way of saying making justice reign, righting all evils, even the evils in our own hearts. Jesus coming back to make all things new. 
But hearing that language, the end of all things is near, it's strange to us. It kind of evokes images of some dude holding a sandwich board across his body by the Civic Plaza Fountain in Columbia Heights or maybe Chinatown, downtown. But this is an invitation to consider the future. Judgment and justice and righteousness and hope. It clears the mind, doesn't it? You start to think about things that really matter, namely God and other people. Things that really matter, God and other people. And so maybe it's not a surprise that immediately after reminding his readers the end is near, he calls people then to remember God, pray, and remember people, love. You see, he says here, therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Don't just wait for Christ to return passively, but rather with active anticipation, participation in the life that God has given you until the day Christ returns. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And then, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In fact, that verb form there, above all, love each other deeply, is one that can be translated, keep loving each other, continue loving each other, persevere in loving one another until the day of Christ. And then, Peter says, offer Hospitality to one another. In other words, hospitality is one key critical way in which we're called to love one another until the day Christ returns. So what is it that we can learn before we get into the practicalities of hospitality? What do we learn about some of the attitudes, some of the the perspectives that we're to hold in our minds and our hearts about this calling, this hospitality thing Based upon this short paragraph here, four attitudes, four perspectives. Number one, hospitality, as we just said, is love, not performance. Told in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We also said the very word hospitality itself doesn't mean cooking a great meal for people. Let me say that again. Hospitality doesn't mean just cooking a great meal for people. It means love, which might come in the form of a fine meal. But understand, God is calling us to a sacrificial act of serving other people to meet their needs and to give them genuine relationship. It's not a performance. It's not something that is part of our endeavor to enhance our own reputation in the eyes of other people. Jesus warned us about the way in which we use meals and our homes to advance our own social status. He told this a number of times, taught this a number of times in some parables, where he said, when you invite people over, just don't invite only the people that can do you something good. People that might be able to give you a promotion maybe literally or even just socially, bringing people over who will actually pat you on the back. He said, rather, invite people that got nothing to give you in return. Loving those that most need a home and a meal and a relationship. 
There are ways that we do this, isn't there? Hospitality is performance. Jesus describes hospitality as a ministry of service, not self-promotion. Hospitality is love, not performance. And that's why one commentator says this, earnest love, earnest love, which seeks the good of others before our own, finds practical expression in hospitality. Number two, hospitality is a gift from the heart and not just your hands. We're called to engage our hearts in not just doing things for people, though certainly there's a practical call to this as well. But we see this in the way in which Peter says, almost annoyingly, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Gosh, I could do that except for that last phrase, right? That it was almost easy until he slipped that one in. That word grumbling there could be translated secret displeasure or internal debate. I could tell you how many times I'll invite people over into our homes and the whole time I'm debating in my own heart whether this is a good idea. It's calling us to love from the heart, not just with our hands, without resenting what it's costing us to love people well. Whether by sharing your stuff it costing you or by sharing your time, your convenience, your relational comfort, especially if you do, as we're saying, we're called to do, which is to love not just those that are familiar to you, the same personality, the same social circles, the same social standing, but rather to love those who are strangers to you. Hospitality is love, not performance. It's a gift from the heart, not just your hands. And hospitality, thirdly, is a stewardship. In verse 10, immediately after this call to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, we're told this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Which is to say that in Peter's flow of thought here, he immediately moves from the use of your home, your space, your possessions, your lives, and hospitality. He moves immediately to this idea of taking the gifts that God has given you with which you're called to steward and serve other people around you. John Calvin makes this comment, when we do good to our neighbors, Nothing is more fitted to correct our murmurings, those grumblings, than to remember that we do not give our own, but only dispense what God has committed to us. There's a lot of ways that we can apply this, but I want to focus on one thing, and it's this. How do you relate to your home? You see, what Peter is teaching us here, so whatever home you have, again, apartment, a row home, a mobile home, a shelter, your home is a gift from God, and a gift, therefore, to be used in service of others. Whatever your dwelling place, our homes are to be a stewardship. 
something that doesn't ultimately belong to ourselves, but rather that ultimately belongs to God and therefore must be used for his purposes, by his power, for his people, and ultimately for his glory. Let's be honest. We don't look at our homes like that with the sort of open handedness of seeing it not as something to be used only for our own comfort and even, dare we say it, our own glory, but rather something with which we are called to sacrifice, to serve. And I think it's because, again, if we're honest and candid with ourselves and maybe even with one another, it's because we're constantly tempted to attach a meaning and a significance to our homes. Again, whatever home we have, meanings and significance that have less to do with God's word and more to do with the American dream. Because we barely even know that we're doing this, but we've drunk the Kool-Aid and so we feel entitled sometimes even lustful of heart to have a certain kind of dwelling place. The way in which, again, we don't even know it. We're trained to see house and home as a status symbol, which is why some of us are just a little bit antsy, even disappointed with the home in which we now live. Because somebody has told you and reinforced in your heart that you deserve something more and better. House as a status symbol or house as ultimate security. Where, of course, home is meant to be a place of security. It's shelter. God ordained it to be that for us. But I mean a security of a higher and different kind of order. The way in which we look to our homes to be our future nest egg. The way in which it's to, by building equity, perhaps to secure and protect us from all financial trouble in the future, the way in which our homes are meant to be everything to, uh, to us. Dear friends, our homes are a blessing. This passage even calls it a gift, but maybe not in the way in which we nurse it in our heart. Maybe we've been enchanted more by the American dream than by God's word. But Peter calls us to a different vision of home and house, a vision of stewardship and service. And ain't that just different? I mean, before we even recognize how to do this differently, can we just point out how different that mindset is, how unusual, how counter-cultural. And of course, this is exactly Peter's point, because this section of his letter, he's sort of unpacking the way in which we're called to live differently in obedience to God's word, no matter what the cost in the world around us. And so above this paragraph in verse 3, he says that those who are being changed by Christ should not be living the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, he says, but rather for the will of God. 
So even in the way in which we relate to our homes, our houses, do we harbor and let our hearts be directed by evil human desires, or do we live in accordance with the will of God? And do we resist the self-centeredness of our disposition towards our possessions, our space, our time? Do we resist simply going along with the values and the norms and the practices of our society? And do we rather seek zealously and joyfully to obey God and to see the world as he sees it, to see our homes, our hands, our hospitality as he sees it, no matter what the cost? I want to make sure that it's clear that our homes are for shelter and for the care and the stewardship of our families, those whom God has entrusted to us. I'm not pitting these two things together, but I think generally our tendency is to only think in those terms, to think in terms of what's good and what's needed for myself and my own, rather than thinking, even with our homes, more sacrificially and more in terms of the servanthood that Christ has modeled for us and called us to. Hospitality, friends, is a stewardship, a sacrificial service unto those around us, a disposing of our greatest goods for the good of others and not just ourselves. And fourthly and lastly and quickly, hospitality is not only love and not performance, not only a gift from the heart, not just our hands, Not only a stewardship and not just a self-centered enterprise, but hospitality, finally, is a spiritual grace. In verse 10, we're told that we're to be using these gifts as faithful stewards of God's, what? Grace in its various forms. God's grace in its various forms. We're well acquainted with the idea of Someone's speaking abilities, an encouraging word, a clear truth, being a gift that people might have that serves and loves people well. Well, you know, Peter actually flows right into that idea of speaking gifts here in verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Right before that, he's talking about the same thing, grace being used in different ways. In some ways, through our words coming from our mouths. In other ways, through our lives coming from our home. You see, hospitality is a spiritual grace. It's not just a matter of what you put on the table or physically bringing people into your home. You are a conduit of the ways in which God intends to change people's lives, to draw him to draw them to himself, of offering to people eternal comfort when they feel bewildered and broken by the world. The eternal strength when they feel weak. The the nearness and the welcome of God when they feel estranged and forgotten in this world. Dear friends, when you open your homes and your lives, you're opening up the possibility of true spiritual ministry. So what does this look like practically? How do we do this? What does this look like? I don't know. You all figured it out, right? But let me try. 
Couple things, six things. Let's talk about this quickly. Number one, six practical things. Number one, I think there's value in learning about yourself and your natural personal style of hospitality. Because we don't all do this the same way. And what I mean by that is that some of us do better playing the host and others of us do better playing like family. What what do I mean by that? Some people, just the way you're wired, your personality, your gifts, and maybe even your passions and values, when you invite people in, you like to take on the role of host. Like, I love you so much. Sit down. Let me take care of you. Others of you prefer something a little bit more down to earth. You like to play the role of family. You say, I love you so much. Here's the vacuum. (laughs) Your family. Can you help with the trash? I haven't taken it out all week. See, that's a different kind of love, isn't it? That's a different kind of love, a different kind of trust and respect and inclusion that says we're right in this together. Now, here's the important thing. One is not better than the other. And some of us are looking over the bow to the way that those other people do it, and you're condemning yourself, criticizing yourself or others, saying, you ain't doing it right because you don't do it like them or me. But it can look different. What's your style? Man, God stretches us the way we do this. I'm not saying that we just do what's most comfortable, but just like every other facet of life, there are going to be ways in which you might love best. Some of you as a host, and others of you like family. Here, can you take out that dirty diaper, (laughs) right? Whatever it might be. Number two, we're moving quick. Number two, so who are you going to invite this week? Who are you going to invite to your home this week? Now, what I want to ask is who's the first person that popped into your mind? Write their name down. I'm not saying you're signing a contract, but let's actually move. Move towards one another. Move in the direction of actually responding by God's grace. Who's that person, and what do you think you might share with them? Uh, For some of you, it might be food, a meal. Maybe that's your passion. You love cooking. It's a joy for you to do that. For others of you, It's not the food, it's just conversation. You just want to chat. You can give the gift of meaningful conversation or the gift of laughter and connection. For others of you, it's not the conversation. Maybe you're horrified at that thought. Maybe it's a board game, something that you've been dying to play. Whatever it might be for you, don't ever forget. Don't just share your stuff, share yourself. Share yourself. Which brings us to the third point here, practically. I want to point out that I'm not, because I don't think the Bible is, not just talking about doing more. You see, because I know, if I'm guessing right, I know my heart, and so I'm guessing at your heart, I know that some of you are getting stressed out by this talk about hospitality. You're even picturing your dirty living room because you're the host kind. (laughs) You need that clean house to bring people in. We're not just talking about doing more. 
In fact, we're not even just talking about serving up a big meal. Remember, hospitality at heart is the love of strangers. So food might be a part of that love. A big meal might be, but it might not be because it's not only that, and it's might maybe not even biblically primarily about that. Again, maybe what you offer is shelter, conversation. Maybe the greatest gift that some of you can give another person this week is just sitting on your couch to rest their weary legs and rest their weary heart. I mean, have you ever experienced that? Just to be able to quietly sit on a couch, how healing even that can be, especially if you're an introvert. (laughs) Happy to come on in and just sit quietly. And I mean it about those of you that are more introverted, which includes a lot of parts of me as well, Some of you all need to invite each other into your spaces and say, hey, we're not going to talk. We're just going to sit and read together, side by side. We're just going to be together and not talk. Or talk, but not too much. Or to set the ground rules from the beginning, you can tell me when to be quiet. Don't let me interrupt your space, your time. You see, it's not just about doing more and doing bigger. Again, I want to suggest that part of the issue here is that our imaginations are so hostage to the more typical middle-class American picture of what it looks like to have dinner guests over. And we have more of those cues and symbols and pictures in our minds more than we necessarily have what the Bible actually is calling us to do. Again, I'm not casting dispersions on meals. Cook, eat. That's a special spiritual experience as well. But I wonder if in order to learn the heart of hospitality, maybe some of us need to set aside the meal component for a little time. Because it's just tripping you up. It's it's distracting you from actually just paying attention to people. Which brings me to the fourth point. And hospitality what we most need to give people is presence. Presence. Friends, we don't know how to be just present before each other. Present before ourselves. Present before God. Uh, We live in an age, a world of just distraction constantly with darting eyes and darting hearts, bouncing our eyes, our minds, and our attention from thing to thing to thing. We're fidgety not only in our bodies, we're fidgety in our souls, anxious. And so it's no wonder when you finally find yourself face-to-face with another human being, you can barely pay attention to what they're saying. Anyone feel like that ever? I do. How hard it is to finally settle down and to communicate. You have me fully. I 
am yours. I mean, it is so rare when you experience that from another person, it's at the same time the biggest blessing you've never experienced and a little bit unnerving, right? You say, what are you looking at? (laughs) Just because their eyes are actually fixed upon you, because their attention and their gaze is finally fixed upon you. What would it look like for us to just simply be more fully present, fully absorbed by whatever's being said? To notice the twists and turns on people's faces, to hear the questions that are being raised in the story that's being shared, to hear the fear behind the fear and the joy behind the joy. What would it look like for us to be a little bit more like Jesus? who even when he was devoted to his disciples for only three years of public ministry, you know, maybe somewhere around the average stay of a newcomer to Washington, D.C., two or three years, and yet there was never another human being that ever walked the face of this planet that was more fully present. Every conversation he had and every person that he encountered. My favorite story of this, example of this, is when in the Gospels we're told that Jesus was actually quickly rushing on his way to, well, raise a dead girl from the dead, right? Important matters, urgent matters, critical matters. And a whole parade of people are walking along with him, quickly getting to this urgent need, this little girl, when suddenly Jesus realizes that someone has touched him, has been miraculously healed, someone that's been sick for all these years, and he spins around, he turns, and he faces this little old woman, and he asks her to tell her story in the middle of the street with a crowd of people around him, and it's like no one exists anywhere in this world except for one person a person that's been totally forgotten by the world, a person whom by Jesus' gaze and attentiveness is being told deep in her soul, you matter. Which of us is not starving for a word of grace like that shown in the faces of other people? We're called in hospitality more than anything, more than the scurrying around, more than even the cooking, more than even the playing, more even than the talking, which for some of you comes really naturally, and so you need to hear even more than the talking sometimes. It's the presence, being with one another, which sometimes is the hardest thing to do. I want to say that as we're working through this Renew initiative, as we're considering big questions about our church's future, as we're gathering up wisdom from God and insights from one another as to where God is calling us to invest over the next couple of years, it's important for us to remember this, that whatever else God is calling us to, he's calling us to be more fully present before one another. He's not calling us primarily to activity, not even good spiritual activity, not even great spiritual activity. He's calling us to be with quietness of heart before God, before the mirror, and before one another, just fully there. Which means that we might be making some significant changes to programming and structure. We might have 
some developments to unroll over the next several months. But I believe that where the greatest growth and change in the life of our church might happen is in the quiet of your own homes. We're talking about the Renew Initiative. We're talking about the direction of our church. We're talking about the health of our church. We're talking about the fulfillment of mission. We're talking about what the gospel looks like in community and in neighborhood and in city. And I'm telling you, it's in hospitality that these things most converge. So once again, who is it that you're going to invite your home to this absolutely ordinary and seemingly unspectacular and therefore completely revolutionary way of bringing God's kingdom here on earth. Fifthly, moving forward and close soon, fifthly, to that stewardship idea, what would it look like for you to search for a home or an apartment? Maybe some of you are doing so right now with your personal ministry of hospitality in mind. What's the picture that you have of yourself in the home? What is it that you're doing? Of all the values and needs that you're taking into account as you think about this apartment or think about this future home, how much does the love of strangers factor into one of the key ways in which you are committed to stewarding the use of that home? How might that change what you look for and where? If you thought about your home, not ultimately as belonging to yourself, but to God who calls you to use your home in part for strangers, what might that look like in your home? And not just if you're searching for a new home, but of course, as you use and live in and love in your present homes, what would stewardship look like? Christine Pohl, a professor and author of a wonderful book on hospitality, says this, a life of hospitality begins in worship with a recognition of God's grace, God's generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty and responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and his welcome to us. And so, yes, let's offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let's do all these things. But first and most importantly, you know that God welcomes a sinner like you. Do you hear him invite you into his family by his grace? Do you hear your Savior remind you and promise you, in my Father's house are many rooms, I go and prepare a place for you. Welcome one another. Love strangers. Don't you know God has loved a stranger like you? Let's pray. We ask that you give us grace to do gospel hospitality, divine hospitality, and that we do this for your namesake, for your glory, and for the good of our friends, our neighbors, our strangers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's sing.
keep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my heart. I want to pause and ask if any of you might have questions. We like to do a little bit of Q&A after the teaching just to process and digest a little bit. Maybe something wasn't clear in the teaching. That's often the case. And, um, but also maybe a question you had coming in. Uh, you won't offend me, uh, though I might not have an answer every time. Uh, but please feel free to ask whatever questions are on your mind. It's free game. Uh, so what are your thoughts? Any questions? Yes. Katie. Is it possible to overcome it? I mean, is it all expected that God will or should you be striving for a balance between what is possible and what you don't think is possible? 
Yeah, so the question is, is it possible to overcommit? And I'm assuming you mean in terms of committing to being hospitable and, and that sort of thing. And the answer is absolutely yes, right? Uh, the Bible is very clear about the principle of Sabbath, which means rest, and um, the importance of having rhythms, not only once a week, but throughout the day and throughout life to have rhythms. We're able to get away, catch our breath, find refreshment. So that applies not just to work, that applies to any kind of productivity as well. There need to be seasons, times, moments where you are not being demanded of in terms of productivity, even in home. And so, yeah, it's important uh, not just to you know, run over your schedule uh, in terms of filling it all up and, and calling that righteousness, right? Um, it, it's not just a matter of balance, but I think it's a, an issue of rhythm, right? Uh, where there might be seasons where you're pulling more people into your life, seasons where you might need to take a break. And I think that's the case with any kind of um, word from Scripture Right, where it's, you're not called to obey 100% of the time in every way, uh, that one word of hospitality, but it's, it's a calling to put it in the context of everything else that God is calling you to do, um, especially in terms of loving people well. So it's a good question, uh, because uh, don't come away feeling like, gosh, I'm not really following Jesus if I don't have every night of the week filled with something and someone, and until I... Until I definitely hate people, then I know I'll be following Jesus, right? No, no, you don't burn yourself out on that. It's an important question, practically. Yeah, Courtney. Yeah. What question for me? You have to find the Yes. Yeah. That's good. My second, second oh no, you only get one. No. <laughs> oh, that's like completely unrelated, isn't it? You, you took me seriously about a random question. Let me, let me hit the first one. The second one, okay, let me hit the first one. Um, it's important not to think of hospitality just as a matter of crossing a threshold. The question was... Can you bring hospitality, does it, or does it only happen when someone comes into your home and space? And I think the idea is, of course, there's a special thing that you're giving when you're bringing people into your home and space and that sort of thing. But in principle, hospitality, it's a state of mind. No, it's, it's a manner of heart, right? It's offering yourself. It's bringing homeness to people, and so that means that's why you can be hospitable in a restaurant. You don't own that space. You can be hospitable in a park. You can be hospitable by showing up at someone else's home, and you're almost playing the caring host, even as you are showing up in their space. Right? I think there's even a kind of hospitality that uh, is sort of like you inviting yourself over to people's home too. You know, Jesus did that with Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and it was the most gracious thing that Jesus could do. Why? Zacchaeus had no friends. And he needed to be redeemed in his confidence that someone might actually love a sinner like him. Us showing up in people's homes, especially if a person might not know, I don't know, would they, would they like my home? Do they want to be in my space? Going, inviting yourself, in so many words, politely, uh, considerately, is an act of grace as well. So I think it's important. This is a great question because it flows 
in both directions instead of it just being like, who's in whose chair right now, right? Great question. The second one, let's talk afterwards just for the sake of time. Melvion, last one that we're going to take a... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But I had this fear. Yeah. And I mean where by doing it, but you know, like when you say about the cooking, okay, I ain't got no problem with that because I can cook. Yeah, we know you can, right? I'm saying like, no, if, if you have a fear yeah. of opening up to that, yeah. and you will want that, what should I do? Like, should I pray on That's it? Good. People, That's good. That's good. Or should I... That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, man, yeah. So what do, you do? what do you do when you're afraid, when you have fear? And maybe that's a barrier to you actually taking a step or inviting you. You wrote someone's name down, and now you're shaken, right? You don't know what to do with that. We, look, let's, number one, as a community, let's all acknowledge we're all afraid of this. If we weren't, it would happen all the time, and it doesn't. We're afraid. So it's not you. It's not just one person or one group of people. This is the challenge, right? So what do we do with that? I think number one, it's good. Yeah, pray, pray. You know, I think it's important for us to say, what's really underneath that fear? Why am I so hesitant? Is it pride, right? I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna cook well. Is it pride? I don't know what they're gonna think of my stuff, my place, whatever it might be, things like that. So it's good to pray over those kinds of fears that we might have. But then I think it's good in that process to remind ourselves, look, all I'm doing is welcoming people like Jesus has welcomed me. Amen. So we think about, gosh, what has Jesus done for me? That needs to fire up your heart. That needs to propel you. This is not just a matter of willpower. This is a matter of gospel power. Giving us the love that we don't otherwise have to overcome fear to chase out fear so that we actually say, let me just go ahead and do it. Let me just do it. I'm not going to overthink this. And at the end of the day, it takes risk. It does. How can we make it safer? I don't, I, as Melvion was talking, I was trying to brainstorm. This is what I do in Q&A. Right? I'm trying to think about how to answer this question. And I'm like, what, how do we make it safer for each other? I didn't come up with anything. Can you? How do we make it safer for each other to take that risk to ask, right? To almost meet them halfway. Almost like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to show up. Because that's a community culture thing. Where we're just used to floating in and out of each other's lives places, stuff, and spaces. So it's not just on you, it's on us too. And if you really want to, I'll show up tomorrow. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this some more. Let's just keep on processing and growing in this calling to hospitality. But what we need to do is to now receive the hospitality of Jesus. Right? Jesus, this is a table, right? You got to use the imagination of faith. This is a meal in the house of God. And it's bread and it's wine, and so it's just a little piece, but it's meant to evoke in your heart a sense that Jesus has called you in and said, I want to dine with you, sit with you, and be with you. You are welcome. Sinner saved by grace. Come on in. Eat. Taste. Drink. Let's pray. God, is it really true that you would love us like this? Thank you for this communion table, the Lord's Supper that you've given to us to strengthen our hearts with the welcome of the gospel, to help us to really believe that it's true that you died and you rose again for a broken uh, stranger like me, 
that you loved us, brought us into the fold, into your family, into your home. And there's no power to give hospitality to one another without experiencing this again and again from you. So do that here. Refresh us by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, after giving thanks, as we just did, he ate with his disciples and he took the bread and he said, Take me, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, in the same manner, he poured out the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins, all of your sins of inhospitality. We got three tables, one in the front and two in the back. You can run up right away if you're hungry for God's grace and get in line and take what you need. Or you can sit and pray and think a little bit if that's what you need. Some of us might just need a little bit of that quiet time. That's okay too. When you get to the table, there's bread and crackers for those with allergies. We also have wine and juice. Make sure you take those cups and leave them in the big baskets if you could. That'll help us clean up the place afterwards. If you're someone that's just hearing about the hospitality of Jesus for the first time, maybe you're not someone who professes to be a Christian. Maybe you haven't